Welcome to Design to Thrive podcast. This is a space where teachers and school leaders and community partners come together to talk about the fantastic things that they're doing to create schools where all kids are valued, empowered, and experience success. I'm your host, Alyssa Frazier. And today we have on the show um, an amazing guest. We have Justin Slider in the house. Uh, Justin, holler at the people real quick. Hello, 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 everyone. I hope everyone's doing well, whether you're listening to in the morning or the evening or two years in advance, who knows? But hello to you all. Thank you for Yes, loving that. So Justin is the first phys ed teacher that I have had on the show. And I am pumped, pumped and pumped to, um, to talk about how, what he's doing to create um, learning environments where all kids can thrive. Um, he is a part of the Edumats family with me and he is very, very good friends with um, a dear friend of mine, Tatul Natoya. And Tatul was like, you gotta talk to my man, Justin. And so um, I reached out to him he was like lightning fast back, like, let's do it. Let's do the doggone thing. So um, we are um, going to go ahead and jump into it. He is in a, um, he is a intermediate teacher um, on the East Coast um, in Jersey and um, really has a uh, diverse demographic that he works with and teaches with. And so I'm excited to, to talk to him today. So Justin, if you could please just um, introduce yourself and um, and then we'll go ahead and get into it. Love it, love it. So I'm Justin Schleider, uh, 39 years of age, able-bodied, although that's kind of diminishing a little bit, um, cisgender, heterosexual, white male, I don't know, what other labels? Oh, Jewish, I was raised Jewish, although now I'm intra-traditions and actual religion. Um, anything else I need to add? I teach fourth, fifth, and sixth graders right now. Uh, my district is pretty diverse when it comes to racial categories. 40% uh, white, because we did a lot of research before this. 20% Asian, 20% Hispanic, 15% African-American students, 5% multiracial. So I come from that demographic for the past two years. Before that, I was at a small, super small suburban school, almost rural, that was like 225, 250, all white kids, like maybe 97% white. And then before that, I was at Mercer County Special Services, dealing with children with uh, emotional disabilities, behavioral disabilities. Uh, those students I would, you know, restrain and Every single kid had their own individualized behavior plan. So that's where I kind of cut my teeth uh, in that and then, you know, progressed to the one school and then to the other. So I've had quite an interesting mix, but understand when I speak, those are the lenses I speak from. Only my experiences that I've been through. I mean, luckily I started in special services and special education world is where real, I shouldn't say we're real teaching, but where they really work to understand their students on another level. Like special education's fantastic. And the fact that I started in that school really let me understand how specialized and personalized learning should be done at, at a really good level. 
So that's where I started then, like I said, public school, which was very, very white. Uh, that was interesting, especially when I started teaching about gender and race, all the other subjects that kind of poke people in the chest. And now I'm in a place in Central Jersey called Lawrence, uh, amazing school district. When I say amazing, they've adopted a K-6 social justice curriculum. They've just hired an equity officer. Uh, they had brought in Val Brown and Rebecca Cordova. They're from Val Brown, started clear to air. She's absolutely amazing. And I will always credit her with my learning. So like I said, it, the district I'm at now, I feel like is a great fit for me growing as a human. It's, it's definitely, uh, you know, I've went from, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old knucklehead and through the years trying to grow. And I guess we'll talk about this a little more about the idea of joy and the amount of harm we do. But that's a quick background of myself and where I'm speaking from. And I love that. Um, and I did not know that you, that what your beginnings were in, in mine, the first five years of my teaching were in um, what we call the second chance schools, right? Where the, the, the kids very much, as you say, have like 90% of the kids have IEPs and all the different um, labels. Some of the kids were, you know, in and out of the systems and, and all of that. And um, you're right that so much of that frames the lens from which you um, the lens from which you speak from and draw from and think from and um, you know absolutely absolutely and I'm so glad you brought that up um, but that's another that's like a that's an offline conversation too that's like a whole nother folks don't know what I'm talking about um, unless you've been <laughs> in it you don't know <laughs> it's the whole of the world and it's fantastic if you're ready and willing uh, I'll tell you, that was one of the best jobs I ever had. I, the only reason I stopped is because they did major cuts in all these districts and everyone five years and under got let go or else I'd probably still be there because it's amazing when you can actually put your arm around kids and, and you could be your full authentic selves in those spaces because parents understand what's going on. Administration knows it, it's a whole nother level of connection that, that you could do it. Like I said, I loved it. And, you know, it definitely shaped my teaching moving forward uh, to really understand what true teaching looks like. I mean, when you have kids who, if you don't reach them, if you cannot establish a relationship, there are major disruptions to the classroom that's going to impact everybody in that class. You're forced, you're thrown into the fire. And like I said, it was some of the best teachers I've ever watched. Oh, yeah. And I'm so thankful for shaping. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Come on. Come on. Talk about that fire. Um, but yeah, so come on, we're starting it off the right way. Um, so I want to kind of bring it back. One of the things that you kind of led with was these are the lenses. These are the intersections. These are the, the places that you've come from. Um, and I'm interested really when I bring folks on for them to talk about kind of what was most impactful for them. Maybe one, there might be many experiences, but but um, what were your experiences like, you know, growing up in terms of your idea of what it means to, um, to be an educator? Like, what were you exposed to that um, kind of, again, was one of those lenses that may have shaped um, what you're doing right now? Yeah, so I'm one of those education nerds. Like, when you look at my lineage, I'm like, I was a born educator. My father and mother were educators. My grandfather's an educator. My aunt is an educator. My brother was an educator. So like, it literally was immersed around me 
I remember being at a bar mitzvah. I must have been like, I don't know, eight or nine. And they had this booth where you can make license plates. And you can put whatever you want on there. And I had teacher written down. I was like eight years old, maybe nine years old. Yeah. So for me, that part was in my blood. I've always known I wanted to teach what the subject area was. No idea. Really didn't know. Um, played sports my whole life, but was always in like honors classes. You know, so I could bring it on the sports field. I could bring it in the academic arena, you know, pull me wherever you want and I'll figure out a way to thrive. So I didn't know. And then, you know, through high school, did just enough to graduate, you know, had a 3-0, barely, you know, kind of. Then it was fine. Like I did sports. I was in the top third of my class. Didn't put much effort into school. Was kind of bored. Went to college. Same thing. I mean, you needed to graduate with a 3-0, I uh, graduated with a 301 in my major. Uh, overall, you needed like a 275. I had a 276. So I just barely like stepped over the bar. College kind of bored me a little bit. I mean, I had fun. I was playing instrumental sports and doing all that. But then when I got in the classroom, there's just no substitute for that. So I was in the classroom, went, got my master's. Like, I don't know, did like a three eight, three nines, I don't know, whatever it is. Because the masters were super focused in my area. Right. So like I'm focused, I'm a little older. And that was my kind of journey through education where I'm at now. So now I'm sitting with a, you know, a master's in health of his ed, master's in admin and teaching full health right now to fourth, fifth and sixth graders. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, and I even love the talking about like I was a bunch of things. Um, and that's important even when talking to kiddos about like we put kiddos in boxes and say, well, I, this is what I'm seeing for you. And it's okay if you can kind of see their abilities and, um, you know, like draw out those aptitudes. It's great. But I love that you're like, oh, I was kind of this, it was kind of that. Um, because kids and just like people, like we're growing and we're changing and it's okay not to be, you know, the one, you know, the kid that's the one, but I don't know that that kids know that like my, I don't know that they know that it's okay to be um, many of those things. Do you find that with your kiddos that they're, that they kind of are like, I'm in this lane. See now I'm fourth and fifth, fourth, fifth and sixth. And so I've never taught above six and I've ran summer camps. I've coached high school wrestling. I'm comfortable in the age groups, but I've never taught them. So I can't really speak to, to that part. My kids, I think, still are naive enough, young enough that they're they're broad spectrum. You know, they can they can look at anything. They haven't really been pigeonholed yet. Great. I think they're noticing the differences, right? It's, it'd be stupid to say you don't notice who's playing all the sports, who's in these clans. Like you start recognizing differences. I get that, but I don't think any of them that I've come across really have been beat down enough to to either say I can't do this or really pumped up enough that this is where I'm at, very few. So they're still, you know, overall kids and and haven't really looked at the future as much, which I'm super thankful. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, So I did, uh, I was an elementary school um, instructional coach. And so um, I had the kiddos, like the second graders and, and kinders, and then I jumped up to the sixth graders. Um, so I didn't have the, the fourth and fifth graders. And definitely the sixth graders were kind of like, I'm kind of this, 
I am kind of that. Like they started shifting around and being kind of, um, oh, you're, you're over there. Why are you in that group? Because you're kind of like this. And so I, I did see kind of um, the beginnings of that. Um, but I think that's amazing, even that there are still kids. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. That's that really major point where you're noticing, like, where do I fit in? Yeah. How's the world treating me? How much do my looks matter? And again, you, you feel bad for kids at that age because looks have the most amount of importance that they ever will. Ugh. And they're happening during the most formidable years. Yeah. And I honestly think that a lot of people don't evolve beyond high school. <laughs> they get stuck in this, you know, they get stuck in the, well, I was this or I was that or I wasn't this or I wasn't that. And it's hard for them to evolve themselves from their young selves. And it's horrible because as kids, we put so much emphasis on that physical appearance. Oh my gosh, yeah. And, and I'm not blaming them because again, we look at biology, you're looking for a mate, you're looking for what you're attracted to, you're figuring out the world. Like it's a lot going on. But I always tell my kids, your physical importance will never be higher than it starts right now. And at one point you're gonna realize that you have ranked that way too high. <laughs> and that you're gonna come back and go, I missed out on a lot, or I didn't notice a lot because I ranked this so high. And it's not, I'm not judging my kids. All kids since the beginning of history are in this trap. And I don't know if it's biological or yeah. societal. You know, you talk about systems. It's I don't know how to pinpoint it, but that's the biggest judgment of physical skill. And you're more than your physical shell. Come you're on more now. Than your body. Come on. And it, and it and it's hard because again, you know. I'm as I'm growing, trying to evolve, trying to do less harm to others and figure out, you know, where's my place in the world. You look at these things and, and you try to impart the knowledge on the youngins. Like, what is beauty? Where does it come from? Why is it lighter skin? Why is it hourglass figure? Why is it this? When you do Google searches and try to get the kids who aren't from the groups that are normally categorized yeah. as beautiful American culture, how do you feel good about yourself? How do you feel good? How do we make you feel worth worthy, right? How do we make you feel like you're human, like you deserve this, no matter what the beauty standards? And, and that's, to me, the difficult part of teaching this age group, starting in that upper fifth, sixth, seventh, and, you know, through high school is you, you're always battling that. And it's difficult. Yeah. So... I think that's not, so that is a perfect like segue into um, as you're talking about the kids who are kind of the the at the 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 cream of the cream right or the the, the normal of the normal um, fitting into these categories um, is that just with teaching your intermediate your your fourth fifth and sixth graders um, what are kind of some of the things that that you're seeing that um, are challenging to you in your quest to say like this is important this is what i center this is kind of what i do and this is what i'm intentional about like what are some of the things that, that you're doing to support that work that you're talking about so i'm really lucky when i tell you i'm lucky i went from a district that did not support you know equity diversity inclusion social justice whatever you want to call it it really all boils down to loving each student 
So my new district is really with that idea of how can we love each student? So fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, I start teaching about identity because we don't talk about identity. It's uncomfortable, especially if you're not from the majority. And even if you're from the majority identities, talking about identity could be uncomfortable. And really for me, my goal is to have each kid walk into my school feeling love and accepted. So what does that mean? That means that we're gonna talk about your culture. We're gonna talk about your various identities. We're gonna talk about your authentic self. We're gonna talk about self-love. We're gonna talk about love uh, has many different ways, uh, many ways of showing itself uh, in not just in school, but in life and in relationships. So we're gonna talk about all those things. So that way you understand that your identities make up you and you as a human you deserve, you belong, you automatically should be receiving love and acceptance for who you are walking in the doors. Yeah. And as far as, I think that's really powerful. Um, and I also think that there are, there's, there are assumptions in that, right? And you're leading with the assumptions that, hey, I want to center this and this is what, I, what I'm believing. And as you're doing that, as you're doing this intentional work, um, do you find that that there that there's some pushback that you get um, from kids, even if they're not like, "Hey, I'm you know I'm I'm I ah," but how is that? How do you kind of go through that? Part? Like, what are some of the things that that you contend with? So, to be honest, the pushback has been very minimal from kids. I had a couple of kids kind of push back on the idea of gender and tell me, one kid tell me that gender and sex is the same thing, um, which, you know, I kind of had to tell them. Yeah, they're not. You can't take <laughs> a DNA test on gender. Like you can't send it to a lab and they tell you a gender, but they can tell your sex. And we talk about the three different sexes. So we go there. So there's a little pushback. To be honest though, it's really not the kids. Mm. Very rarely, if ever, has it been the kids. It's really parents and some teachers. Mm. And I got to be honest, I, everyone deserves love and empathy, yeah. right? Every single person, yeah. whether you hate me or not, you deserve my love and empathy. Absolutely. Right. And unfortunately, because I have that view, I'm going to take a lot of harm in my life because of that. But that's neither here nor there. So because of that, I feel empathy for you as a teacher who entered a teaching area that said there's two genders, there's uh, gender and sex are the same thing. We don't talk about religion. We don't talk about this. We stick to the facts. Here's what we have. Kids come in. They need to learn how to read, write, do math, and then be out. And that's what they entered into. And I honestly feel bad for them because this is no longer the job that you are contracted to do. They switch the game on you. Yeah. You're 20 yeah. years in. Yeah. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? So now you're stuck in a system that is saying things you may not agree with. Yeah. Like we have to love kids for who they are. Yeah. You have to make a decision. To me, the decision is clear. Either you jive with what the district says and say professionally, here's what I need to do. Although personally, I may feel whatever. I personally believe if you can't get behind this and, and really understand, you don't have to accept it, but you have to accept the child that's in front of you. You may not 
you may not want to be in the classroom with kids. Yeah. And that's a really hard struggle because they got their own kids. They got a house. They have car payments. They have everything. Yeah. So yeah. a lot yeah. of teachers are at this crossroads. And I don't want to center cisgender or white, like, you know, the, the more labels you put on it, you know, there's a higher, like a smaller seg that, that fits in that category. But they, they either have to change or quit. And it's hard. So yeah. I feel bad for that. But on the other hand, I feel a lot better knowing that the kids have been marginalized, who are committing suicide at a higher rate, who are being bullied at a higher rate, who are, you know, feeling that they're not, that they're othered, you know, that they don't belong. Yeah. That they're yeah. feeling better about themselves. So yeah. there's a lot, a lot going on in all this. Well, I'm glad that you brought up that there is some contention that folks have to deal with and they have to come to um, understanding the why that's behind it. And I think in, in educ you know, education, right? So let me tell you something like 15 years ago, folks were like, oh, your pedagogy. And even when they talked about it, right? They didn't really, they, there was still like, oh, we went over that, right? So um, we weren't leading with the same kind of conversations about um, what's the culture, what's the environment, um, what is belonging meaning, what is creating, you know, empowering learning environments, what does that look like, right? We weren't having those conversations. It was very much um, content-based, discipline-based, um, this is what you do, this is what we've done. And having those type of conversations, um, you know, it's a big cultural shift um, with, main, you know, with mainstream public. And so I think it's important to talk about that. And then even the thing that you just brought up, which is um, centering empathy. I think that's super important. Go ahead. You're yeah, I mean, it's easy to be empathetic to people we like. Right. Right. <laughs> like, that's the easy part. If I like you, of course, I already have a problem with you. It's much harder when I'm trying to be empathetic for people who don't think and act like me. So again, I'm going to leave with my chest. I'm going to leave with my heart. I'm going to tell you, here's what I'm doing. Here's why. It's always going to be centering the students. If I err, I got to be honest, I'm going to err on the side of bringing forward marginalized students. So if I work, go out of my way to try to bring those students and censor them, I think at the very worst, what I'm probably doing is treating everyone equitably, right? Like giving everyone what they need. At the very worst, like I'm honestly probably not doing as much as I think I'm doing. So we got to put that back a little. And I'm, I'm helping everybody because I'm not going to exclude anyone when I'm doing my teaching. So at the very worst, probably I'm teaching everyone equitably. At the very best, what I'm doing is bringing students who have been marginalized to the center and trying to make up a little bit of where they may not be at the center of other classes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Did I, did I put that yeah. in words? That, that yeah, I think it, I, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, and I think even, I think even saying like, there's gonna be some trade-offs, like there's gonna be some shifting that's gotta be done. And it, you know, it's, it's gonna take some, some mindset work, right? And, you know, in there. And so, um, wow. So I, I am curious when we talk about um, being a phys ed teacher, being a health teacher, um, 
what does that look like when you say, hey, we're, you know, we're teaching about identities. Um, when you're saying I'm creating these classrooms where all um, the kids who are the most marginalized according to the data. And that's an important thing to center too, because some folks will be like, well, you don't know what I go through and I'm this. And it's like, of course, everybody goes through things. Everybody's challenged. Everybody has, you know, like I had a rough childhood. Like everybody has, you know, my grandpa did, Do you know, what my father went through, Do you know how many miles they had to walk, you know, like, come on now. So, um, <laughs> you know, you get all that jazz. And so, but you're like, okay, so let's look at what the data says. Um, Go ahead. You're going to say something. You saw me getting, getting worked up. Come on, talk. I love it. I love it. All right. So here's the deal. And I will preface all of this of saying I'm a non-tested area, right? So we have to understand that when we look at what is expected of me, what I have to do, being a non-tested area gives me a lot of leeway that tested areas don't. So I want to put that on the table. That's up front. I'm able to do a lot of things. Classroom teachers who are tested areas cannot. I understand that. That's a whole nother conversation. So let's, let's put that first. Second, for phys ed, super easy, right? How can we create a positive association with movement while doing the least amount of harm, right? That was literally my philosophy. So what does that mean? That means, first of all, let's get rid of the notion of, of being an athlete. What is an athlete? Well, really, I got to be honest. I don't care what an athlete is. Come on and say All that. All I want to know is, what's up? I said, come on and say that. Come on, I'm here. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, again, I'm not a coach. I'm not a basketball coach or a soccer coach or a wrestling. I am a phys ed teacher. My job is to teach every kid and have you understand movement is good for your body, is good for your mind, is good for your relationships. Movement makes you a better human being. So that's my number one goal, all right? To be honest, my athletes, you don't need me. I'll give you a ball and a field and some cones, and you will figure out what to do. You don't need me. Thank you. Go do your thing. I'll be over in a little bit, right? Middle people, you need me to set up a couple parameters. We'll get some activities going. I'll ask your feedback. You know, we'll do some levels. All right, level one, level two, level three, I come up with you come up with level four, level five, and level six, right? So the kids who have learned to create a negative association with movement, because either they saw that they move, they, they don't excel at movement like other people do. And let's be honest, some people are better movers than others, right? Just like some people are better at math, are better at violin, are better than whatever. I'm not unaware of that. And, and I want to make sure I understand that. And at the same time, as a human being, you're wired for movement. So we have to understand that too. You're a mover. You may not be an athlete. You may not want to play basketball or football or big, but you're a mover. What is moving? Walking, dancing, skating. And there's a million different movements we can do. I'm going to find some way that you could attach movement to feeling good about yourself and others. And then that will hopefully be the key. So that's the idea of phys ed to me is we are the only subject that focuses on the psychomotor. I also focus on the affective. So moving while feeling. How can I make moving and feeling positive to you? Together, what games can I create? What circumstances can I set up? So what does that mean? That means I got to ask you. I, I set this up. Here's what we're doing. What do you think? Good, bad, and different, right? How can you make it better? 
turning it over to the kids and saying, I create a rule that either gives you an advantage against the other team a disadvantage. Now they're in there, they're creating, they're figuring out. They're, they're trying to make it equal. Because again, phys ed's a weird area because they care about equal in phys ed. We want it to be equitable. We want everyone to learn. And, but remember, it's not fair. How can we make this fair? Fairness. Fairness in phys ed is a, is a huge concept we can talk about. And that's why when we talk about race and gender and all the other things, we can talk about fairness. Well, was it fair that women didn't get the vote until 1920? Is it fair? What happened with, with slavery? Is it fair that, that we don't talk about reparations? Is it fair what happened after the Civil War when Lincoln got shot and Jackson came in later, Johnson rather came in? Like, is that fair? So we, we could talk about fairness. And, and they get it. So for me, what I love, and this is the tinkering, right? This is the pedagogy of phys ed. I could take a, a, a team of quote unquote athletes, kids that play sports, right? And I could take a team of kids that don't play organized sports and I could tinker with the rules enough to give the kids who don't play those traditional sports a competitive advantage so that the game is equal. So they could both have an equal chance of winning. And that's really what you're looking for when you're playing competitive games. Do I have a chance to win? And so again, phys ed is the only area that has psychomotor and affective at the core. Music might be a close second, art could be a close second, but in general, for me, I just, the gross motor, nobody's doing gross motor, nobody's doing full body like phys ed. So those are some of the things I incorporate in phys ed. It's the idea of equity, equality, and boundaries, which is another one. You know, who makes boundaries? Why are boundaries important? And bring up that conversation because that part brings in a lot of equity conversation. I love all of that. I love, all, we need to bottle it, like, and like put it on t-shirts, like have a swig, you know, let's talk about it. Um, I love the, the foundational, like simplicity of it, but also like, this is something we actively do and we should be thinking about. And it's quite um, applicable to all the other subject areas, um, you know, tested or not tested. So, but I appreciate you bringing that up. And so I kind of want to round the bend and um, we are shifting, right? We're like coming out of this phase of COVID and hopefully going into a better, um, you know, a better place in the fall, but not with rose colored glasses, right? But um, when you think about like next year, right? What are you most excited about? Um, in terms of being able to continue to do the work that you're doing? So in New Jersey, the state health standards just got switched. So this summer, there'll be an opportunity to redo the curriculum and really redo it through the lens of identity because I feel like the lens of identity makes everything more valuable, more relevant to the student, right? Because this is, this is how it impacts me. And for health, which I'm teaching right now, that's my whole goal. I'm teaching you things that impact you now and in the future. So that's really exciting. And for me, the idea of how do we get back, not to normalcy, because again, we know normal wasn't quite fantastic for everyone, but how can we get back to the idea that we're building communication and relationships in person? And I feel like this was a really great technology experiment 
right? We were forced to use technology to teach. And I feel like I personally did it at a very decent level. I had good lessons, I had opportunities for them to come and engage and I switched it up. And honestly, I think my teaching was pretty decent over this COVID where we were forced to do it online. But I don't think that learning environments are equitable during this time. I don't think computers were equitable. I don't think internet stability and speed was equitable. I don't think the surroundings, the volume in the house was equitable. So the bottom line, I felt like I created relationships with some students, maybe more than I would have in person, but the bulk of relationships I did not create that I would have in person that I'm normally used to. And that was difficult. It was very difficult to do that. It's hard teaching to a black screen. And again, I, I didn't force my kids to turn their screen on. I understand there's many reasons why your screen would not be on. And I understand that sometimes your screen should be on, but it's not. I get it all. And at the end of the day, I'm really not forcing you to do things you don't want to do because that's not going to create the positive association with my subject that I need. So if you need to keep your computer screen off, that's fine. So I think that part of it, I would love for a technology piece to be put forward that we could do online. That'd be amazing. I don't think my school district is gonna do that, but I am looking forward to the in-classroom community building that can only have it in person. And that's, that's, what we, that's what I've learned. You cannot replicate in-person communication and community building over the internet. Can you establish some real relationships? Sure. Can you have real deep conversations? Sure. But that's more of the exception than the rule. And I feel like in person, it's much easier to make those connections. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, and I'm, I appreciate the, um, the, the balancing, right? To say like, this was some really like great stuff, but this was some really tough stuff. Um, because it's like, well, if we look at it that way and it's like, no, we, it's a spectrum, right? And so um, being, putting that on the table um, is really important because that is, that's our reality. Um, and so I want to um, give our listeners an opportunity to like for folks that want to connect with you, learn more about the work that you're doing. Um, are you out here in these Twitter streets, Instagram street, streets? How can folks um, tap into you or connect with you um, in what you're doing? Sure. So yeah, I'm on Twitter at S-C-H-L-E-I-D-E-R, Justin. Uh, that's where I do most of my work. I'm on the gram, but usually as a lurker. People keep trying to break into my account like every other day. I don't do anything on the gram. You don't want my account. Anyway, um, and that's the main way is Twitter. Uh, you know, you'll see me on there. So if you need anything, help of his head, I can help you. I love education and I love trying to grow and, and bring back, um, you know, cross-cultural, cross-subject uh, lessons. At, and really, I learn from everybody. So I'm on there. You'll catch me. You'll see me. It's boring, you know. A lot of social justice stuff. <laughs> but once in a while I write something. I wrote something the other day. You should be. I thought I thought it was pretty good. I actually spent like a large amount of time on it. Love it. I love it. I love it. 
So for thanks everybody for being with us today. And please know that um, you are the ones that you've been waiting for. Nobody's going to come and get you. They're not picking you up on no ice skates. They're not getting you on a bus. No Uber to come get you. You are it. You are it. Um, so definitely we're here for it. We're here doing this work with you. Um, Justin, it's been a, I don't want to even say a delight. It's been, I was finding myself getting pumped up and I was like, calm down, calm, calm down. Um, so I was excited to have you and I look forward to our next conversation together and for everybody else, um, until next time, just keep on shining. <laughs>